0: and welcome to the podcast biblical question we are excited you've taken time out of your day to listen to our podcast for more information about us you may visit our website at biblicalquestion.com we will tell you the web address again at the show's end we encourage you to open your bible and follow along as we study the bible now here is your host joseph
1: well hello there and welcome to the podcast i am excited that you've taken time out of your day to download this podcast and to listen to us I know you have many other options, and you have chosen us, and I'm truly blessed. Uh, Again, uh, the lady asks that you check out our webpage. I would encourage you to do that. There is a prayer request page there, and we have a handful of people that have asked for prayers. and Some of those are continued prayer needs, and so if you're a prayer warrior, I would really encourage you to, to do that. Today we're going to try to answer some questions from listeners, and if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to always have one nearby and be ready to open it. The first question, uh, the person just says he's from Europe, and and that's that's fine. I, I don't always give out the information um, over the podcast where people are, but this guy did not uh, seem to care if I did that, so his basic question has to do with the western world and denominational settings where did they you know start from or how did we get where we are and that's a very interesting question i i would say that most people especially in the western hemisphere really truly do not know church history Now, all of these denominations that we have today have split off of uh, one denomination or or the other. And it all has to do with their desire to interpret the Bible to either stand by what they believe, what they want to believe, and it just really, each time we break off, a denomination, uh, we get further and further from the truth. Now, somebody's going to email me and say that's just an opinion because my denomination is the only denomination that teaches truth. Well, Mormons teach that, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that, uh, many uh, Restoration Movement groups teach that, and Uh, The list could go on and on. And nobody wants to go to a church that's only admitting to teaching partial truth. They all believe that they're teaching truth. The thing is, most of them are teaching truth from their particular aspect. And so, really, to understand this, you really honestly need to study uh, church history. Uh, You need to study Roman history, Greek history, there's a lot in this that uh, people really need to to read and study. Along with that idea is reading and studying what I call the Church Fathers, the first thousand years or so of writings of people who are credited to being a a historical uh, person that wrote about the church, and the history, and the leadership, and so on. Now, a lot of even most pastors, preachers, elders, whoever, uh, bishops, whatever you want to call them in the western world, don't necessarily all know that. They just know their little circle, their little group. And I know I'm going to have some listeners, I've had long-time listeners, who are going going to argue the point, and of course my first request would be please study this for yourself and not to necessarily try to give me arguments from your denomination or your upbringing. Now obviously I'm going to go in a direction here uh, that has something to do with my upbringing. Uh, For those who don't know, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and so I know a lot of the Catholic history. I really enjoy studying Roman history, uh, but most of all, church history. And obviously the church has uh, at least 2,000 plus years of history, and I'm not sure that one person can completely study every little detail of church history, but we can get the overall picture of where the church started and where we are today. Of course, if you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, this is really the conception of the New Testament church. Again, everybody believes that they have roots to that, but that's not necessarily true. If somehow or another you and I were able to transport through time and we were able to go uh, back to Jerusalem, let's just say a week after Pentecost, and you would actually be able to approach Peter, uh, James, John, Mark, all of these folks, the 11 apostles, especially and say, what denomination are you? They would not have a clue what you're talking about. If they understood the question, they would they would not acknowledge anything. They would just simply say they are part of the church that Christ established and he's the head of. And and so this idea of denominationalism, any ism um, if you study this the ISM word is something that becomes between you and God. Somebody, some human being, some denomination has placed an object, uh, a tradition of man between you and God. And so, again, the Eastern Church and the Western Church really uh, are a little bit different. In the world, in the United States, Western Hemisphere, most of us don't even know where all the denominations come from. So I'm going to back up quite a ways here, and I'm going to try to do my best to to give you uh, some breadcrumb trails for you to pick up on if you so desire, and study this out. And so, follow along. Now, many groups do not try to preserve the original uh, apostles-type teachings. Uh, They refer to them, but they're going to refer to John Calvin, Campbell, uh, Luther. They use these guys to get their points across. And Backing up a little bit, as I've named a couple people already, where did they break off from? Well, let's get into that. And so many things are being taught or simply tradition of that particular faith or denomination. But the truth never changes. God never changes. One question would have to be, how much is culturally injected into our worship service in christianity today especially in denominational world we have obviously music it has changed dramatically in the course of my lifetime and uh, i can recall you know classical music as a little boy Uh, That was what my grandmother, she really liked. And one grandparent liked what I would call uh, classic country. And uh, today we have uh, so much other type of music, rock and roll, uh, jazz, rap. uh, and, And so music changes and the culture changes and they have an influence perhaps on each other. If I were to go back in time, what type of music would we be listening to? What kind of music, songs would we be singing in our worship service? You know, I recall as a pulpit minister, several places, if I would try to change the order of what they had done in the worship service in that particular congregation the world would stop spinning, the moon would crash to the earth, and so on. Because this is just the way we've always done it. We we could say and make the same application to what I'm going to refer to as the Eastern Orthodox Church. The West is very non-existent, naive towards that. The Eastern Orthodox Church really can trace its roots way back, further even than the Catholic Church. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. I know that's a shocking statement for some people. They have really been virtually unchanged since prior to Constantine, is what they will claim. They do a lot of singing, and the reason I'm, I'm referring to this is Lots and lots of singing, very much so. When I want, add, want to add more songs, uh, reading Scripture in the worship service that we would have, I would be told, no, we're not doing that. We only have time for three songs. We only have time for two prayers. We don't have time to read the Word of God publicly even though I could show you that is a command in the New Testament. Okay, so the Eastern Orthodox, everything centers around the communion service, much like the Catholic Church does. Now, I'm not going to get into all of this about communion with these two groups as far as uh, actually being the body and blood of Christ, or is that a symbol or whatever, The point I want to make is everything is around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Everything. In my experience, and throughout the denominational world, where I have uh, either visited, preached, taught, whatever, communion service or the Lord's Supper simply is something of emotion. It's just something that we go through. It's one of the steps. It's checking the box. And with especially the Eastern Orthodox, and and of course the Catholic Church, because the Catholic Church will actually break away uh, from the Orthodox Church. And I hope to get into that here in a few minutes. But it is more than just symbolic. You know, I, I remember watching... In a very large congregation in Texas that had 2,000 people in attendance, and they were doing the Lord's Supper. And it was just simply as fast as they could go through it so that they could go home or go watch the football game, uh, go out to eat, whatever. And shame on all of us for that. We should be able to go to worship. This is not a country club. This is not a place where we catch up on all the gossip. This is a a coming together to worship God. It is a place uh, where we just don't giggle and laugh, have a good time. This should be uh, very, very much into the focus of where we are and why we are there. So essentially, there was really only one church, one Christian-type church, I shouldn't even use the word type. We just simply had one Christian church, up to approximately uh, 1054 uh, AD, of course. And then there becomes a split between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. And and then several hundred years later, we have another split between the Catholic Church and the Reformers. And some people would refer to this as a, a schism. Now, Diversity was obviously there, and there was five central locations uh, in the early church. This would be Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, of course, uh, Rome. So when this split happened, it was the four Eastern or Greek-speaking that essentially separated from Rome or what we know today now as, obviously, the, the Catholic Church. And, of course, there, there's become splits off of the Catholic Church. Like I stated earlier, you have Martin Luther who would nail his thesis uh, to the doors, right? It's a very famous part of church history. Most people uh, would know about that. And then the Reformation movement begins, and there would be some counter-Reformation uh, movements that would also stem off of this, there would be the anti baptist uh those were people who were very much against uh, sprinkling and babies, okay, and so obviously they were going to be heavily persecuted by the Catholic Church uh, who was practicing this at this time, and then they lots of people would lose their lives and their property over. Being an anti-Baptist, the Catholic Church would come seize that property, uh, put people in prison, and so on. And then the modern-day Pentecostals would probably come off or branch off of the anti- or anti-Baptist group. And it's in this time frame you have a lot of politics really being played. Everybody's trying to establish what they believed and what they thought was right, trying to move away from the Catholic Church. Luther was dealing with Rome, for example. He'd also be dealing with the the counter-reformers. And then we would have what I say would be three or four mainstream versions of Christianity in, in the Western world that all branched off from basically the Roman Catholic Church. And then in the north, we'd have uh, John Calvin, who would uh, start really basically the Baptist Church. Then you would have the Wesleys, uh, who started Methodism. And the Wesley brothers basically would be a split off of the Church of England. So in the end, all of this obviously would trickle into the United States. So basically, in the west, we have. Catholics, Roman Catholic, Protestants break off. They are called uh, Evangelicals, Pentecostals, and that would probably the main, and this would be the main Western three that I can come up with here, uh, Christianity in, in the United States in the Western Hemisphere type thing. Now, a little bit of a turn here, if you would follow me, please. In the 21st century, more Christians have been martyred for their Christianity beliefs than in the time of Rome. And that that's can easily be searched out on, on any internet uh, search engine. And so when we talk about martyrdom. Uh, martyrs, the vast majority of these are Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox people. Now, most articles are not going to go in great detail to tell you this, but you're, they're not going to name them as Orthodox. They're so going to talk about Stalin, uh, who would literally destroy countless cathedrals that he would kill uh, in prison the Eastern Orthodox uh, believers, their, their priests, their leadership, to usher in communism. And so we don't hear that part in the Western world. We just say, okay, we have X amount of people who died for their Christian beliefs in the 21st century. And that number, again, is, is vastly higher than even in the first century. And I'm not trying to take away anything from uh, the first century folks who, who were martyred for their belief in Christ, because they, they, these folks deserve uh, to be accredited. And I ask myself, and I've often wondered, how many people today would be willing to suffer and die for their Christian beliefs. I think this is where the rubber would hit the road of true believers, those who are truly seeking out Christ, who are wanting to profess their faith in Christ. And I know in the United States and Canada uh, and the Western Hemisphere, except, uh, well, I'll just say North America, we are not allowed or we are not encouraged depending on where you're living to be this quote-unquote evangelical. And that just means pro- proclaiming the good news is what I'm trying to get at. Telling your coworkers, your friends at school, your neighbors. I know here where I'm at, everything's great and wonderful as long as you keep it in the four walls of wherever you worship. You start to bring this out, and you talk about how homosexuality, for example, it is a sin, and it needs to stop. It needs to be uh, repented. We have the legalization of so many drugs. We, we, we have a, a culture that has lost its moral compass. And I blame all of this on the church. Now, we have denominations out here who swing with the culture. And really, Christianity is supposed to influence the culture. Now, has that always happened? Well, I believe in the early stages of the United States in its conception, I believe that that was going on, where people were really trying to focus on having a country and a nation free to worship Christ as they wanted, or not worship at all. And so, we today are just the opposite. We are told and encouraged not to. I don't know how many times I I, I hear, I see these gospel meetings and one gospel meetings about how they are the only true church and all, all the other groups are going to hell. Well, maybe they're all going to hell. You know, I, I, I'm not going to say that in, in a gospel-type situation. I want to tell people who Jesus is, why he came, how he suffered and died, shed his blood for the redemption of sin. We don't hear this anymore. We, we hear how great you can have your best life now. Uh, we hear that it doesn't matter what lifestyle you live, God loves you. Well, the truth is God does love you. The problem is even if a good parent, my parents truly loved me, but if I broke the rules of the house, uh, there was consequences. And we don't talk about consequences in the modern-day uh, Western culture church and Christianity. We just check boxes. We, we, we are so focused on one-hour service. Okay, so I've been a missionary in foreign countries, and there are some of these countries, if all we had was a 20-minute sermon, and we had four songs, two prayers, and we rushed through the communion service as fast as we could so we could be out of the building, uh, they would never come back. They want to hear that they're sin. They want to know how to be in communion with God. They want to not only commune with each other and worship as a unit to the one true God, but they want to know how to fix their lives. You know, like Joe Olstein, to me, is nothing more than a fancy car salesman. He's just selling you a book that he just recently probably had ghostwriters write. So I'm, I'm kind of straying here from what I really want to talk about. And so, you know, everything is, seems to be based off of feelings. And, I mean, we all have them. God gave them to us. But feelings change, and this is kind of this to me, this is a, a danger zone. So the question is how, how do we really know God? See, if you have knowledge and you have the truth, that's something that won't change. because God says he cannot change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow and so I, how do how do we get to know God? It, he is constantly revealing Himself to us through creation, through His Word, what we call the Bible, through prayer, contemplation, worship. And this is how we get to know God. This is how we get to uh, have this lifetime relationship with God. And I really honestly, listeners, don't believe that this is always taught in, the, in Christianity today in the Western Hemisphere. And this is why I, I, I push, I encourage, I ask when you are listening, grab a Bible, follow along. This is why I encourage you to pray, you know, and not just a five-minute prayer, 10-minute prayer, but be in serious prayer continuously. I mean, the Apostle Paul would tell us that, pray without ceasing. And that's what we really need to do. And I think we are so embedded and ingrained with the culture around us uh, this idea of secular humanism, that we, we think we're doing good, and I have to include myself. Are we constantly in prayer? Are we constantly having this idea of worship? We don't see worship seven days a week. We see it one hour out of the entire week. And what do we do in the rest of the week? We're filling it up with so many worldly activities and thoughts that we kind of push God out of the picture. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't go to work or not go to school? Of course not. God God knows you have to have an income. God knows you need an education so that you can have a decent job, so you can take care of your family. But do not neglect who God is and the origins of the church and the history and how we got where we are today. Again, I, I see so much church that has changed in my lifetime. And yet claim to be the, the, the true church that God established on the day of Pentecost through the Holy Spirit. And I don't see that so much if you get outside of the United States. So here, here's another teaching of the Eastern uh, Church that I refer to as the Orthodox Church as we would call it today. And as you read and study Scripture, this is where you need to go for the origins of, of what God has established at the base and the foundations of the Church. And that is, how are you saved? Well, we have so many people say, well, i I've saved by a prayer. I was saved by baptism. But the, really the truth of the matter is, as you study God's Word, you see that we are being saved. We will be saved. This is a process that the Holy Spirit puts us through, through the blood of Christ. And so this idea that I was once saved and I'm always saved, I was Baptized, and now I can live how I want to live, say what I want to say. That's just simply not true. And so, so I believe the scripture teaches that we are continually developing and growing as, as Christians if we are studying the Word of God. We are worshiping God. We are praying as we are supposed to be. So the God who is the creator of the universe is he's eternal. Uh, he, his beginnings and ends are never really there. We we are created beings, and we have a beginning, and yes, we will have eternity, but our bodies obviously uh, will pass away. They're corrupt. And as we go through eternity, I believe that God will continue to allow us to get to know Him. And again, I don't know that there will ever be this end of who God is. God is much bigger, much deeper uh, than, than we realize. We try to put Him in this comfortable box and the Scripture, I don't think puts God in this little box to make it comfortable. God is, he is who he is. And his intimate wisdom, power, uh, knowledge is beyond, I believe, human understanding completely. Can we get a small grip of that? Well, yeah, I, I can. Somet- sometimes I think it's easier to say what God is not than what God Is. And and I think that's true on so many subjects throughout the scripture. It's easier to say, well, it is not this. And I think that tells us the depth of God. And we don't hear this on a regular basis if at all. So many groups and congregations that I again that I have been through here in the Western Hemisphere usually are feel-good messages. And should we feel good about our salvation? Well, of course. But there's much more than this. Again, it's more than a feeling. I think if you really study the epistle of Jude, and my listeners the who are listening on a regular basis know that I use Jude as an example for a lot. And that's that one little letter right before the book of Revelation. And somehow it always kind of gets skipped over. And you can see that Jude is trying to get this idea across. This is more than just a feeling. And this is where the Western Church is at. It's just a feeling. There is something about true worship, as God has initially established it on the day of Pentecost through the apostles, that I think is is very it's very humbling it's there's words about it that I don't know that I can describe. and so you know again, I've been in Catholic churches in other countries, just looking uh, around and it's amazing how even the local culture, especially in the western hemisphere or the Western world, I should say, has influenced it. Uh, Very few people know, for example, the Catholic Church used to immerse, did not sprinkle babies. And if you would go into some of these old, you go to Europe to see the beautiful countryside, perhaps you ought to go in some of these old churches, and you will see actual baptistries where people were baptized, they were immersed. And the history behind this is uh, where we get the anti-Baptist. They're coming out of plagues, uh, parents, uh, and I understand this. We're worried that their child may not go to heaven. Uh, they're worried about that, and so they go and they they know baptism is part of uh, the Christian walk. But how are you going to dunk? an infant into a water with a high fever. You're going to kill that child. So they come up with this idea of sprinkling, and that's where that's really started. And so instead of the Eastern Church that, that the Catholic Church breaks away from, even to this day, immerse in their baptism. And so, and they wait until... And no, they do not immerse infants. There's this process, even, you know, growing up Catholic, uh, where you were required to study uh, the Catholicism. And so uh, we have that in the denominational world, where they want to teach you the doctrines of that particular dom- denomination. So, again, I, the original question, going back to it, was about all these different denominations, how did we get here type thing. And what does the word denomination mean? It, well, essentially means divided. I mean, we have what we call denominations and currency. They all have different values, uh, but it's still currency. What denomination are you carrying? Is it a five, ten, thousand, peso, whatever? And so, we have this division that God has never, ever put His blessing on. I want to encourage you to find a a congregation, a group of people who are really, truly trying to study the Word of God, how it was intended, worshiping how it was intended, And knowing the Bible from in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And on the first day, the second day, the third day, all the way to the book at the end with the last word of amen. This is the only way you're going to have any success in knowing who God is, how he's revealed himself through his word, through prayer, personal studies, worshiping and singing. Uh, throughout uh, your work week. Uh, you know, this is something I do as I'm, I'm at work, running a machine. I'm, I'm singing, I'm praying, I'm doing those things as this machine's running. And I'll be honest about it, it actually makes the day go by much easier, much smoother. Uh, doesn't mean that life is without complications, hard times, uh, disappointments, and so on. That's just the world that we live in. Life on earth is hard. It's very difficult. And so, I really would not want to face tomorrow without knowing that God would be there. And He will be there. He's already there. And as I get there, He's going to be there to guide me. He's going to be there to to help me through life on earth. He's going to be there for all eternity, for me to explore Him, to know Him, and understand Him. And of course, if we can't worship more than an, an hour, four songs, uh, a 20-minute sermon, I really struggle how we're going to worship and study God for eternity. How are we going to get back to the garden that God had originally created for Adam and Eve to be in. Adam and Eve had to take care of the garden. They had a job. They, they got it, assigned them to do certain things. And we will someday, those who are in Christ, will be able to go back into the garden that he will place us in, that it would be heaven of eternity with him in his presence, Without temptation, without sin, without all of life's complications, I look forward to it. I certainly hope that you would too. And I know I've kind of rambled on a little bit about uh, things here in this podcast. Perhaps uh, some of it didn't make sense to you. It's The first time you, if you even pondered some of this, but I would encourage you to study church history. I would encourage you to study. Uh, the Greek history, the the Roman history. And so when you read the Bible, a Jewish history too, uh, excuse me. I mean, and so as you read the entire Bible, you have a better idea of why people thought and clicked the way they, they did know the layout of the temple in Jerusalem. So when Jesus is holding off a whole large group of people, and keeping people from walking through and trampling through the temple and disrupting those who truly want to pray, how does one man do that? Well, look at the map of of the temple in the day of Jesus, and you would see how he's able to do that. Get into the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate your heart, your mind, and your soul. I would encourage you to do that. And if you don't believe the Holy Spirit is alive and active and well today, uh, we're all in trouble. I truly believe the Holy Spirit is active, working today. He's very much alive, and he is and always will be working in the life of those who have been purchased by the blood. Again, I I, I know... uh, So many of you are regular listeners. I've gone on longer than I normally would. Uh, I'm not trying to convert anybody to one group or another group. I think the conversion process is a lifetime process, and it only can be done with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through knowing the Word of God, living the lifestyle that we are expected to be living, and, of course, telling others, about who God really is and working for him. Again, I want to thank you for listening. May God bless you. May he always have the glory.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure to hit the like button and follow us on your podcasting app. Please check out our website at biblicalquestion.com. All one word, all lowercase. In addition, we have a prayer request page a way of contacting us, a statement of faith, and other resources for our listeners. Do you have a Bible question you would like answered on a future podcast or prayer request? We would be honored to hear from you and add your prayer request to our list so others may pray for you. Subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on our social media accounts. Again, that is biblicalquestion.com. Thank you and may He have the glory.